Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? Now, do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host Iris and I am here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we are reviewing a film from 2020. A Sundance darling. Mountain Dew presents Minari. <laughs> It's water from the mountain. It's natural and good for you. Better than that tea. Please don't ever bring that tea ever again. That tea, like everything else in this movie, is planted and paid off, isn't it? Oh, Literally planted and paid off. I don't know about paid off. That guy who was going to buy their vegetables when they were creeping in his alley, is he still going to do it? Uh, I'm guessing that... The deal may stand. It seemed kind of happy ending-ish in the sense that the deal might stand and the dude would have to wait for the next crops or or whatever. But um, yeah, the ending was all really hastily wrapped up, I thought. We spent a lot of time in slices of life type scenes. And then we're like, fire and let's wrap things up. Let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's telling. It's both good and bad because you know that Kelly's invested when at the end of the movie, when it goes to black, she goes, that's it. <laughs> Pretty abrupt, that third act. They were like, all right, guys, we're going to burn this thing down in real time. They had to shoot it probably chronologically so they can burn the barn down and be like, all right, we're out here. And then we, they probably uh, had the wrap party on the flames, like barbecued on the flames on the, the embers because... <laughs> S'mores. I'm guessing this movie costs like, what, $35, $40? Oh, come on. A Plan B A24 production? I mean, they had to plant those crops and stuff. Yeah, they had to do some legit agriculture type stuff. All right, so um, they had some seeds, they had a water bill, and they were like, okay, we need a barn and a big wooden cross. <laughs> uh, Steve Yoon probably didn't come super cheap 
I mean, he's got his Walking Dead laurels to rest on and an executive producer and lead actor. I mean, he's got a, he probably had a little bit of a, a line item there. Yeah. So for Steve Yun, you either know that dude or you don't, right? Yeah. I mean, he's had some things here and he was in the new Twilight Zone. But yeah, I mean, Walking Dead was huge, right? And he had a pivotal emotional role in that series that was was super long. I mean, I don't know. Is Walking Dead even still on? I think it is. I guess so. He is a fan. Glenn, the character, was a fan favorite, though. Oh, yeah. But to see him in this role playing a archetypal Korean dad figure was it was different. I mean, he's he was kind of like this weird American sweetheart in Walking Dead. And uh, here he seemed legitimately like an immigrant and his Korean tinged American accent was so spot on. And I mean, from to my untrained ear, and he just seemed like a foreign person to me. Can we take this moment to uh, to say hi to chill? Hi, Celia. If anyone's listening <laughs> to this review, I know you are. I did intentionally hold back from asking uh, Celia about this movie specifically because I don't want to only ask her about the Korean movies. That's got to get annoying, right? Well, look, I was happy to have a Korean film for once that in no way reminded me of Parasite until I watched some of the supplemental stuff and all anybody could talk about was Parasite and the precedent it set and the road that it paved for Korean movies. In this case, a distinctly Korean-American movie. I would almost invert that to say an American Korean movie. Like this movie is like pure Americana. It just happens to have Korean immigrants in it. Do you know what I mean? Except it's a Golden Globe winner for best foreign film. Oh, interesting. You're right. Yeah, I didn't think about that. The Globes said that Minari was not eligible for best feature in a drama category because 40% of the dialogue is Korean. So it's not based on country of origin or distribution, but literally dialogue yeah what do you got to say about that how do you defend yourself against that hollywood foreign press association well they're under so much fire and scrutiny right now i think that uh they might be changing things up or at least hopefully if they're you know conscientious well deserved for many other reasons anyway going back to your original story steve yun looked awfully young with his fully fleshed out family and his determination to start a whole new life after moving from Korea to start a new life in California and then moving to the Ozarks to start another new life. Like that hmm. dude must have started young. But then I saw him in his little pleated pants and his sort of tired, resigned, yet strangely optimistic face. And I was like, it's true. He's fully in dad mode, even if he doesn't quite look like it. I continually do this, and you know this, balance these people at these stages in their life versus where I am. Like when I consider what dad was doing, by the time he was my age, it makes me feel kind of crappy. I think the 80s, when this movie is set, was the beginning of the endless adolescence. I mean, Steve Yoon is 38, but I'm not sure how old his character was supposed to be. But having a family and a job and serious responsibilities and weight on your shoulders was just the way it kind of was from like the 50s to the 80s or, or maybe and maybe just the dudes who were always in the basement playing video games or dungeons dragons or whatever just started coming more to the forefront of society but um but yeah it seemed like that there was a there was kind of a shift there so is it that kids today and let's use males as an example because that's what i know it wasn't necessary for them to be like, it's time to put childish things away and grow up. Is it that they were lazy and not as hardworking as their predecessors? Or is it that they were so prosperous that it enabled them 
to be like, I'm not going to be like a man today. I'm going to go in my basement and play my Nintendo. Mm, Yes, and both. I think there was such an emphasis on growing up, becoming a man. The American dream was still a big deal, especially for immigrants, and certainly is still. It's a uniquely kind of 80s work ethic for immigrants that they can come here and they can realize the American dream and they have these ambitions and they genuinely believe if they work hard, they can transcend chicken sexing. (laughs) Yeah, there was a line that I thought nobody's ever said in a movie before. And spend our whole lives chicken sexing or something. I was like, that is a first for that line in the history of movies. It might have even been in Korean. Do they have machines to chicken sex now? I have no idea. That seems awfully labor intensive. Yeah. Yeah, mom was talking about that last night. I watched this movie with mom. Interesting. And uh, the perfect movie to watch with mom. Not only was it available with subtitles, but it was intended to be watched with subtitles which as you know is mom's preferred way of what only way of really watching it and, and understanding a as movie. well as yours it was gentle and not <laughs> violent and she was laughing the entire time and like looking at me and being like yeah 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 like she totally agreed with these people like it was a it was the perfect movie for mom she loved it they arguably would have been more or less it would have been age appropriate. So, but if we can, just for a moment, let's go back to the the American dream because that was typified, at least again from a male perspective, when the American dream, as it was established in the fifties, was certainly a male thing, right? That was two cars, the white picket fence, the two kids kind of vibe, and the I guess the lady being the homemaker. But that is a goal that isn't telling necessarily of the work not only to achieve that goal, but to sustain that goal. And granted, they struggled. I mean, maybe they could have had some semblance of that where they lived, but it required constant work around the clock on both of their cases. And he was taking a leap of faith to plant a garden and whether or not he had the irrigation to upkeep that garden. So I'm tying this back into mom in that there weren't a lot of stakes, but there also wasn't the spelling out of this is a disaster. And if the water doesn't come through, we're not going to make it and we're all going to starve in the night. As soon as they had a brief montage of prosperity where things seemed to be doing well and Jacob was like, good, it's good. And the crops are coming and you're like, yay. And so I turned to Kelly and I was like, you know what this means, right? Prosperity montage. And she said, what, someone's going to die? And I was like, someone is absolutely going to die. And it can't be David. Heart murmur or not, you can't kill this kid off maybe closer to the end. But I was like, here goes grandma. And then grandma totally died. And I was like, see, see. And then grandma wasn't dead. (laughs) And grandma didn't die at all, in fact. And so I think she might have like when they went to go see her Minari plants at the end, I think she had she was done by then. Okay, I mean, and then I thought for all intents and purposes, maybe she was done. Yeah. And uh, and she survived just long enough to burn down the, the food stores. But I was struggling because in the same way that mom maybe found some comfort and some level of identification with nothing much happening. I was waiting for the thing that makes this a movie worthy of my attention. I was assigning and ascribing significance to events because I thought I was kind of getting a handle on it and I never did. I think this movie was so grounded in its slice of lifeness. I knew that it couldn't have a happy ending because it wasn't a fairy tale. It wasn't shot. I mean, it was shot beautifully, but I knew it couldn't end well because it was so grounded in reality. And so I was like waiting for the other shoe to drop or the hammer to fall or whatever the saying exactly. is. And um, I guess the barn fire was it, but it came, it comes awfully late 
in the story structurally. Yep. But I think the relationship was the focal point. And Jacob and Monica kind of agreed to snuff out their fire to juxtapose it with the barn fire. Oh, symbolism. And then there's like the Phoenix thing where their family rises from the ashes and they get husband and wife get like a fresh start or whatever. But both things kind of tied, come very late and made me think, well, it was just meant for us to experience this in a weird real timey type setting and to just and hopefully to invest in the characters so that we can I guess, root for them at the end when they have a second chance. Ah, root for them. Get it? See, this is you ascribing (laughs) significance to a thing that happens. Oh, the barn burns down and then the nutrients from the fire seep into the soil and the crops are prosperous. Yeah, I get the projecting thing, but but I kind of appreciate it because all storytelling is trying to bring meaning and order to otherwise random events in life. And I appreciated that. I also appreciated that we had a foreign film i guess if you can call it that that wasn't far eastern magical realism there wasn't there wasn't the minari legend of you know blah 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 it was like it was that's why i felt like it was super americana it was like hard work is what pays off and that's why i was a little confused at the end when it's like his arc was to then be like okay yeah i do need the dowser that threw me off i was like "Mm, that seems counter to what this movie was trying to suggest Yeah, the superstitions are always hard for me. I don't like when those are ascribed real significance. And in this case, it may have saved the family or whatever, although it would have saved him a lot of trouble if he'd listened to it up front. So they are beholden to the superstition, the tradition, and their typical way of life. As a matter of fact, him moving forward, the same concern was expressed by the little boy, by uh, David, that I had was like, you're in Arkansas. Korean vegetables is what you're going with? Where's the market for that? Because I was shocked that she went into the chicken sexing plant and found the only other Korean, like immediately. So it was a distinctly Korean film, and our director, Lee Isaac Chung, is either a total liar or in a really unique position. Because he claims to have gotten a note from Plan B and Company, who I will concede are always trying to push something new and something interesting in the world of film. You would think they could just go for blockbusters, and they're really not looking to do that. One of the notes that he got in this in the process was make it more Korean, which is astounding to me because you wonder what who Minari is marketed to. Is it to Koreans? Is it to Americans who don't understand the struggle of a Korean immigrant family in a place where they are relative? I mean, they had to go to the big city even to find their one distributor guy. It was an American story, but it didn't feel American to me. It felt like a foreign film in the sense that nothing much happened, but it was a slice of life and it was a slice of Korean life that just happened to be set in America. And it is telling that our director mentioned that he wrote this because he fell in love with Willa Cather, who said that you do your best writing when you reflect. So he sat down and wrote a bunch of childhood memories down about his life in the sticks as a Korean family trying to make a living. And he remembered how enthused his dad was by the feel of the soil, how they went to Minnesota on some business trip. And the dad was like, I got to live here and moved his whole family out to Minnesota and tried to do what they did in this film. And he remembered distinctly little pieces of his childhood that he wrote down and then fleshed out the story around it. And nothing hugely traumatic happened in his childhood any more than hugely dramatic things happen in Minnesota 
or in Arkansas. If you're in the Ozarks, you think there's going to be secret drugs and <laughs> that they were in for a for a Forrest Gump level of discrimination. Can't say he, you know, and you yep. knew that that was coming and then it didn't come. Yeah, which was kind of refreshing. Yeah. And if anybody got crapped on, it was uh, Jesus man. I was I was glad that it didn't go there. It wasn't about race. It wasn't about being Korean. I mean, it was really just a human drama in an Americana backdrop with Korean characters. You said a drama. It was a drama. It was a drama because it wasn't funny. But there was nothing dramatic about it. Barn fires aren't dramatic. Yeah, I guess. Strokes aren't dramatic. Here. <laughs> so I have odd romantic notions of like getting a ranch or settling down on a farm and working with my hands. And I was nervous the whole time when I was watching Jacob embark on on, on realizing his dream. Like because he felt he felt kind of into the wild to me. You were saying like you grow Korean vegetables in Arkansas like he knows nothing about Arkansas life he knows nothing about farming it didn't really seem that he had much of an agricultural background like he got the farm cheaply because the previous dude couldn't work it and went broke or and shot himself in the head is that one dad really irresponsibly tells the tale um but but that was telling i was like "Uh uh-oh he's gonna go jack torrance out there man you hear those stories and you're like here it comes that was that was the seed if you'll forgive the pun it just didn't seem like he had a lot of business out there and i wanted to call his farm jacob's folly and he and i felt like he was kind of setting himself up to fail that he had these visions of who he wanted to be the dad that he wanted his kids to see, but that he was ill-equipped to actually realize his dream. And so I was kind of thinking that the, the practical come to Jesus moment for Jacob would be that he would say, I was wrong or I can't do this, but they but they try again. And maybe now he, that he has some experience under his belt, they'll succeed. But for me, it's always come back to the ending and kind of how not only was it hasty, but it seemed just not what I expected. It seemed counter to what the movie was setting up. That, so that's the question for me was what was the movie setting up? I thought for sure establishing David's heart murmur, the grandma coming to live with him, that she was primed to die. She was the last vestige of, you know, their Korean past kind of dying off. I thought you're seriously against the odds throwing your kid an hour away from the nearest hospital. That's a terrible idea. And I was waiting for all of those things to pay off and none of them did. He didn't even qualify, I, I don't think, as the American dream seeking alpha male dominant father, Korean father figure that I would have expected, where he is the unchallenged head of the household, where he would be like, it's my way or nothing. How are you going to get back to Korea? He was like, you can take the kids, but this is kind of my destiny. This is what I have to do. I liken this movie in a way to Minari. What is Minari? I don't know. What's this movie about? I don't know, but it's going to grow and it's going to do its thing unsupervised down by the river. <laughs> I le- I thought the Minari was going to be, this is me projecting onto this movie. I thought the Minari was going to be this exotic, rare, super expensive mushroom that <laughs> grandma was going to grow down by the river and was going to become their prosperous crop and was going to save the family. Save the family. Or she dies and they sprinkle Minari's, the seeds that she brought over her grave, and her decomposition makes the crops prosper, and that saves them. <laughs> Something, man. But I think that they did wrap up these story elements. It was just really subtle, and it was really hasty. 
the boy's heart murmur thing in the middle it's the hole is closing but also at the end he runs to grandma and he's running and he's overcoming the limitation that his heart and his parents have put on him all of his life oh look at that i just got that now <laughs> david don't run david, it, exactly they, it was so subtle they committed to a tracking shot and i was like that's kind of weird and i just got then, that right now <laughs> <laughs> and then grandma is also wrapped up her story point was she was the outsider she was unwelcome the kids almost regarded her as a curse and then despite her having burned down the barn they're like grandma come home you belong with us and that was her and the family's arc like grandma belongs i would have thought that monica would have been happy for the fire okay this is a sign that suggests that it is time for us to move on um grandma needs care david is getting better but you know nothing is for sure but yeah not the case it just kind of seemed to galvanize their determination to stick together and make it work to embrace grandma to embrace the hardship i mean Risking the smoke inhalation for a crate of tomatoes didn't seem like the, the move to me, but uh, she was in there just like he was. <laughs> I mean, I almost expected him to die in the fire. Yeah, someone to die. Grandma, him. <laughs> just, why won't anybody die? <laughs> so I <What>? came up <laughs> I came up with the film's tagline, right, on the poster. It's like Steve Yoon standing in the middle of his crop field or whatever, looking toward the sky or looking off in the distance. And it would be sometimes smaller is louder and loud is good. How about that? That's a direct quote from the doctor. Is that imagery yours or is that the actual key art? Probably Him both. in a field looking. At... <laughs> if that doesn't work, um, I'm going with ding dong broke in. <laughs> I mean, gra grandma was definitely comic relief. And I don't know why it's funny for grandmas to be irreverent. But it definitely worked here. And so if we finally get into it, what is Minari about? I don't know. What uh, what happens in the movie? Not much. But it's a joy to watch these characters on screen, these actors. I kind of expected a lot of attention on David, on Alan Kim. Seems like a newcomer. He did win a Critics' Choice Award for acting, and he broke down and cried. It was very cute. The standout for me was definitely Nai Nai. Nai Nai was the bomb. <laughs> Not the only farewell comparison, but yeah. She was delightful, and I couldn't tell if she was the best Korean Nai Nai ever or if she was an, an amazing <laughs> stellar actress. But that aloofness and her being totally engaged in at the, what was at the time WWF wrestling in the 80s, Oh, yeah. Um, squeezing his cheeks and, and playing games and calling everybody a bastard was was awesome. It was amazing. And then I came to realize that no one else was at fault. Even with the kids, I didn't feel there was a false step in this movie in terms of acting. I think everyone did a great job. It was just understated for everybody. The more I think back on it, I like the Monica character. I like the Jacob character, even though he was a little bit too focused on what seemed to be and seemed to me an unrealistic dream. But I liked watching everybody in this movie. So the plot sort of fell away and I was okay with that because I was happy watching everyone, including Will Patton, who I didn't expect and who I thought was going to snap, but who didn't and was just quirky and fun. The grandma performance was definitely the most colorful, but wasn't distracting. 
I think the acting, in addition to the cinematography, the the score, and the pacing were all intended just to like ease us into this warm bath and for us to kind of forget that we were in it and to enjoy it for what it was. Like every scene in this movie is complete and because the whole intention was for us to be immersed in this family's life. And largely those were the types of films that conditioned us to receive this movie in a way that I was a little bit unsettled. Coming out of the movie, I wasn't sure how much I liked it because it was abrupt and because it, because I thought I knew what was going to happen and then never did. And then I was wondering, is it valid if it not only doesn't adhere to any of my expectations, but doesn't really set up expectations of its own? It wasn't intended to be an overly dramatized or romanticized or idealized lifestyle. Or contemplative. It wasn't even particularly petty or contemplative. Right. It was just slice of life in a Norman Rockwell sense where they look a little bit different and their traditions are a little bit different. But, I mean, for me, Sling Blade isn't about the inevitable conclusion in retrospect, but it was me liking this world, these these people in those lives, as much as I wouldn't necessarily want to be a part of them. I looked at every every B-roll shot, every establishing shot of Arkansas, and I was like, oh, that's not for me. But it was for Jacob and Monica, I guess, and family. What do you think about Minari in context of this year's other award contenders? I expected 2020 to be the worst year for movies ever, and it really wasn't. It seems like we had a bumper crop of surprising movies, to use a farming term. <laughs> Everything that finished filming just before the shutdown is all coming to prominence now, and some of those films have been delayed. So maybe 2021 Oscars are going to be total garbage. We'll see. I think that it's a noteworthy inclusion because we have a lot of diverse themes and movies this year. I'm not sure that it's strong enough to blow everybody away because there are a lot of strong movies that blow people away in them. And that is going to be the focus. Except for Nomadland to defy exactly that sentiment. The only problem with Minari, other than a rather abrupt ending, was my expectation of there being a problem and having no problem to resolve. And so I felt like something was missing. Is there a, yeah. like an undercurrent of evil running through this typical, I guess if you can call them, American family, this Korean-American family. Is everything bubbling beneath the surface and the evil will, will come come forward as uh, as the Will Patton character carrying his cross seems to suggest that it will. He sees the evil and can dispel it with the goodness. And uh, are we ultimately going to see that come out? And then it didn't. And I realized that the shortcomings of this movie are the shortcomings that I projected on it because of my shortcomings and expectations for a movie like this, I guess. I can't find fault in Minari. I can find fault in the characters' motivations, in some of their choices, but it felt real. Kids don't automatically love their grandparents. When their grandparents are ill, kids don't know to take it seriously. They don't run screaming down the hall. They confer in the hall and maybe even wonder if they're going to get in trouble for announcing that, that grandma peed herself. I wasn't sure if I was going to give this a good review. 
and I think I'm firmly giving Minari a good review. It is an all right movie. Is it a totally movie? I don't know. It depends on what you expect to get out of movies. And it is investiture of time that I don't know is going to pay off for everybody. Sounds like it did for mom. Guessing it would have for dad, but I don't know, you know, for everybody else. I think Minari was like to you, a surprise to me and a good one at that. So that's yeah. my official rating on Minari. 818-835-0473. That's our hotline. Let us know what you think about Minari or email us or whatever movies at gmail.com. Also, if you could let us know about what you think about Minari, the plant. What is Minari? What does it do? I could look it up. I probably will look it up. But we're reviewing this movie hot on the, on the heels of watching it. What is this movie about? What is Minari? Let us know. Thank you for listening to our review on Minari. And we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.